Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hi, everybody. I'm Penny, and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures podcast. Today, we've got this really awesome guest, Ray Reyes, with us. Um, he is actually a retired lieutenant in the military, retired in 2019. He was there for 28 years. Uh, he founded the company MI Real Estate. He's been involved in residential since 2005, uh, been focused exclusively on multifamily since 2016. He's done 10 multifamily deals in Alabama, Florida, Tennessee, totaling 382 units, valued at over $24 million. He's a consultant for multifamily investors. He's best-selling author of Bluff and has a virtual meetup. It, with all this, it just seems like he's uh, super involved, has a ton of experience, and I just can't wait to bring him on. So Ray, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me on, Penny. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming. I'm really excited to uh, talk some real estate and uh, dive into this thing. So Ray, why don't you start out by uh, telling us how you got started on this journey in the first place? Yeah, no, I, it, to me, it was pretty simple. I, I mean, um, I've always enjoyed real estate. I am the, the child, the kid who, you know, whose favorite game was Monopoly, you know, and it, and it just, you know, I, I, it's just something I've always loved. And, and uh, I had another passion in my life that kind of took precedence. That was being in the military. I retired as a lieutenant colonel after 28 years. And I retired because I had this other thing I wanted to do. Uh, and I actually done some investing along the way passively primarily uh, but I wanted to take it a step further because again of, of my you know lifelong passion mm -hmm. cool so what may I ask um, what was it that you saw in real estate that attracted you that made you want to be part of this game I think the biggest thing is when you when you're looking at you know how you you know how you grow your wealth um, there's a lot of ways where you know there are theoretical ways, if you will. If you have to be conceptual about it. For example, you know you got Bitcoin. Uh, you don't get anything with Bitcoin. It's sitting in some computer somewhere, and you gotta you gotta make sure that you keep the computer separate because if somebody steals your Bitcoin, it's. But it's it it's to me nothing beats physical real assets and and. Uh, and along those lines, I mean, when you talk about real estate, we all need it. I mean, we, we can't live in, in, in the internet. I mean, yes, we spend all day on the internet, but we live in real estate. We, leave, we live on planet earth for now and wherever, you know, in the future, it's always gonna be about some real estate, whether it's, you know, think spaceships or think other planets, you gotta live somewhere. And, I, and to me, that's always kind of stuck. And it's something I, I I focus on is what is it that can I feel it? Can I touch it? Can I see it? And, and those are important to me as an investor. Right. I, I kind of hear that because let's say there, there are different investment strategies and different tools and different, you know, options that people have, but you know, real estate being the fact that there's, like you said, like it's actually real. You can feel it. You can look at it. You can touch it. It's, it's there. You can go look at it, check up on it every day. It's still there. 
Um, it's just it it's just that much more predictable, reliable, and especially now, I feel like um, a lot of our listeners will understand that a lot more. Being the fact that the other big option out there, which is the stock market, has been you know has had crazy uh, um, ups and downs over the past several months, and and you could have you know put in money a little bit ago and it would be down now or up, and it's just it's so unpredictable and so volatile that real estate, uh, for the most part, you're coming in uh, with a business plan, you're being diligent. And um, as, assuming you, you know, did your homework, it should pretty much do what you predicted it to do. And, and it's there and you can go check up on it. You can touch it. Like you said, you can feel it. So yeah. I definitely hear the, the value to that. Um, Ray, a question that, that I was wondering was, uh, you got started um, while you were actually in the military. And a lot of the listeners out there, they have full-time jobs. Um, some people have very busy full-time jobs. They're working nine to five or some people even more. Some people are working weekends as well. Um, what would be some advice that you can give the listeners? How can they start to get involved in real estate, even though they're crazy busy with families and jobs and, and whatnot? Great question. I, I believe the, the easiest way to do this uh, and, and I'll start by saying, you don't have to love real estate. It's just a ve it can be just a vehicle to create generational wealth, passive in in income for you. Uh, and when that's the case, when it's not about, hey, I want to go out there and, and do something active in the field. I just want to have good returns. I want low risk in my investments, at least some diversification from the, the wild ride that is, you know, is, is the stock market. Then, then there is this other option. And if you're busy, if you're a busy professional, find people that, that are act actively involved, that are, that are doing deals, that are looking for passive investors that will invest in, in those deals. I mean, and that's kind of the premise, right? And so they're active, they're busy, they're full-time. In many cases, sometimes they'll, they'll do it uh, while they're kind of easing out of a different job potentially. But for the most part, they're really active in that business. You don't have to be as a passive investor. You just have to understand enough to make sure that you're dealing with the right people and you're investing in the right asset. Because it is about an asset. Like I said, it's real, it's there. It's not you know, something that, that you, you, you can only imagine. You can actually go visit. And I've had some investors go visit the properties. And you know, say, you know, this is the property that I'm, I've invested in. And so, and it is. And the beauty of that is if you're busy, um, you don't have to focus on that. You, you don't have to, you're not going to get calls in the middle of the night. And I'm sorry, even, even if you're an owner and you have a property manager, you still get those calls. You really wow. do. I mean, you just, you just like, burst in everybody's bubble out there. <laughs> yeah. You, you think, oh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to buy a property and then I'm going to hire someone and that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Wrong. I mean, you can do that, but good luck. Good luck with your investment on that. So in this case, when you're talking about specifically a syndication, you have another layer above that property manager that really uh, focuses on the, on the investment, you know, on the returns for, for you, you're on your money. And so they're there to overwatch that property manager. The property manager is focused on keeping units, you know, rented, dealing with any issues with tenants and ensuring that, that the property's in, in good condition. But they're not necessarily looking out for your best interest financially. The asset managers do. And so they're the ones that let you sleep at night because they're gonna be providing reports and they actually are on the, on the same team as you as far as focused on the returns of that, of that asset. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing when, when you can go to sleep at night 
you don't have to worry. And all you're doing is you're getting checks in the mail and every once in a while you'll get a report um, and that tells you everything that happened at the, you know, that month or that quarter in some cases with your, with your investment. Got it. So essentially the best option would be to outsource. Is that what you do? Do you outsource your management or do you self-manage? So I, I, I outsource my management. Now, as an active investor now, I am part of that asset management team that is looking out for the investments of other investors in the, in the deals. But as you said, if, if, you're, if you're busy doing something else, you're not gonna be able to manage. You're just not. You're, you're, you're gonna be barely able to keep up with, your, with your, whatever you're doing. And oh, by the way, if you do do a lot of the asset management, then you really gave yourself a part-time job in essence, because you, now you've got, a, you got your regular job that, you know, that's your focus. And now you have this job that surges on and off depending on what's going on and, and you gotta deal with it. Or, you know, or you start taking a beating in the, in the, in the pocketbook, you know, because it's just not going to perform by, by no action. You have to take action. I've had property managers quit on me. So I started on a single family side and I had property managers that as soon as there were some issues with a particular tenant, instead of dealing with the issue, they just quit. Said, listen, this is not for me. Thank you very much. And guess what? Me, the owner, in my full-time capacity in the military, I had to figure out, being my wife, I had to figure out how to fix that problem. And it's a stress that you don't necessarily have to have. Um, if you do want to get in the active business and you want to get a feel for it, by all means, but it really is extra and you don't have to do it. That's the, that's the beauty of it. Got it. So, for, so the way I see it is um, in real estate, there's a lot of different parts and there's the time, the, the, um, the actual effort, there's the experience, there's the money. So essentially um, you could contribute the money and we've spoken about this, but you can contribute the money and be a passive investor on your first few deals while you have a full-time job and still reap the benefits of, of a, of a well-running property. And it, more than that, it actually allows you to uh, educate yourself as you go along. So you're getting reports from the asset managers or from the owners and um, they're giving you back your returns. You're seeing how it's being run, how it's being operated. And that can also work as part of your education um, in case you would like to go and be a general partner and, and do, you know, try to get on that side of, of, of the fence one day, you know, with, with real estate. So that, that's actually a, a great, great uh, advice. And that's, it sounds like that's the route that you took um, up until, you know, to get you into being a full-time GP. Yeah, that's correct. I, so I started, in fact, in you know, my first acquisition as a limited partner or a passive investor, that's both the same, means the same thing. I was actually overseas working in El Salvador. Uh, wow. And I, you know, I, I studied the markets first. I wanted to invest in a location that I was comfortable with. Um, and I, then I found some people that were doing acquisitions there and I partnered on, the, on that deal. So, but, but once I, once I uh, became a passive investor, my point to them was, look, I'm, I'm doing this passively, but my goal at some point is to become an active invest, investor. And so I had that in mind. So I actually paid attention as much as I could uh, given my schedule and, and everything else going on in my life to learn a little bit about how, how it worked and some of the, the internals. There, there's an actual great uh, learning point when you're sitting on the other end of these things. If, if, you're, if you want to be in a, a general partner or you want to be a sponsor, like, like they call it, and you want to be an active uh, syndicator, it's, it's so good to understand and to think like a passive investor. 
because those are, those are your customers, right? I mean, you all are partnering up together and you're, and you're buying this asset. You can't do it without them. And that's the whole point of the book that I wrote is, okay, here's, here's uh, it was the, from the perspective of a passive investor and the kind of things that they need to know and the questions they need to be asking. Right. Essentially, they are your sort of like your clients. And it's very important to see things through their perspective. And it also helps you um, underwrite and look at your deals when you're understanding that, hey, my investors are looking for this and this returns and they're, they're looking for this and this type of property that helps you narrow your search and actually, you know, look for the right criteria. And some good advice for, for everybody out there, if you're going to be a passive investor, don't just take your returns at the end of, uh, you know, distribution and, and be like, okay, great. And put it straight in your wallet. Try to understand how you got those returns. Try to understand, um, you know, the, the money aspect and, and, you know, your return on investment, some numbers involved. And this will help you in, if you're interested in, in getting into uh, real estate on the GP side, uh, this will help you get there quicker and help you uh, educate yourself as you go. Um, a question, Ray, you mentioned before uh, the issue with the, the property manager and you said, you know, not always, um, when you hire a property manager, is it just, okay, turn off the lights and go to sleep and wake me up, you know, when, when it's time to uh, give me my uh, distributions. But um, question, when you're vetting out property managers, uh, what are some questions that you would ask? What are some things you would look for? And what, what would be a red flag, green flag? How, how would you go about that? Yeah, the, the biggest thing nowadays, in fact, I just, I just wrote a, a blog post on my website about property management and the differences between single management or correction, single family or small unit property managers versus mid-size and larger property managers, manager firms that have a ton of people. The biggest questions that you, that, you, know, that, that you should start off asking with is what, what, the, what is their experience, right? And you should be able to, to get some references from them about what they've done. Uh, the places that they, you know, that they're invest, you know, that they've done their, you know, their, their property management in. and you should be able to drive through there. You don't want to get inside those places, but you, you definitely want to take a look to see what they've been doing. Good property management companies will, will not work with certain uh, operators. If the operators aren't giving them the income that they need, the, the money that they need to keep those properties up to speed. And I'm talking on the multifamily side because, because it makes them live. Live. what's that? And I was just, I just jumped in because it, it makes them look bad. Why would they want, you know, it's bad for their reputation. Exactly. So they, they should be, they should be willing to provide you some references and you should, you should be able to go out there, have somebody go out there on your behalf, your asset management team, and take a look at some of the work that's been done that they've, they've done. And, and the reputations are pretty easy to find out. I mean, I, I get questions all the time. Hey, I'm in a certain market what property managers do you recommend I use here? And so that it's not the, it's not the biggest world. So you, you do get, get around and you get a, a good feeling for what's available. Um, so, so that's the biggest thing is experience and are they willing to provide some, some recommendations or some references so that you can kind of talk to some of their you know, potentially tenants or other clients that they manage properties for. The other thing is, um, what kind of systems are they using to, to manage that property? And I'm, and I'm talking about CRM systems because they have to be, if it's a large enough uh, entity, you may not always be talking to the same person. And so sometimes they, you know, they, they have to be able to, to provide enough information from their database so, so that no matter who they're talking to, the information is coming out and that you're getting reports from them. That's the other thing, because you also need to see, you know, if it's a larger asset, you know, how many turns have there been turns as in like what, you know, you had a, a tenant move out. Now you have somebody that's coming in, how long it's taken them to turn these things. 
what the cost is associated with each, each of those turns. And so all those things are hard to capture unless they have good systems in place. And those are important because that's how you measure the performance of those assets. And so that, that's, a, that's a big deal. If it's just a single family house, it's probably easy to do it uh, without a lot of that. But again, that's the disadvantage. You're not getting the benefit of, of reporting that will allow you to visualize what's going on in an asset. Got it. And from your perspective, would you say that an operator would be better off outsourcing property management to a third company or better off um, trying to do it themselves and save a little, save a buck on that? that? So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. It depends on the size of the asset and, depend, and depends on the, ex, the expertise of that individual. There are some, some operators that vertically integrate property management companies into their business model. And so, while they are an asset manager, they have an arm of their business that actually does the property management for them. So in that case, it's the same entity, but it's not like, you know, it's just another hat they're wearing. It's basically, you know, a whole other company that they, they, they can have at their disposal to, to, to manage. And that creates some other economies of scale if, uh, as opposed to, you know, if you were to do a, do a third party management coming in because it's a little bit costlier and it's, it's, it's a little bit less control that you have because it's third party, but both of them can work. It just depends on the size of the asset and the experience of, of that, those individuals that are trying to manage if, if that's what they're going to do. Right. Got it. I was actually networking with somebody the other day. He was mentioning that um, as he was starting uh, to build up his portfolio, he was looking to outsource uh, because he said he wanted to focus um, as much as possible on the acquisitions part to try to grow, you know, the, the, the number, the number of doors under his belt uh, as quickly as possible. And then as he is continuing to grow, now they're starting to thinking, to think about uh, bringing the property management in house um, and, and, you know, develop those systems, uh, you know, later on in the process. But yeah, I guess there's no real um, right, you know, right or wrong answer. It's just a, a matter of like what works for your uh, particular business model for, for the most part. Correct. I mean, and certainly if you, if you want to focus on acquisitions, then certainly you want to outsource the property management. Uh, but if you do have, you know, at least at, at first, if you, if, you, if you have the wherewithal and you can, I have, for example, I have some partners that, that basically acquired a property management company. They didn't create it from scratch, but they just, they acquired one and so they could vertic vertically integrate that way. So that's another option. As you grow, you can certainly do things like that for sure. But at first, obviously, if you're, if you're smaller and you may only you may want to only focus on certain aspects of the business, the ones that you like. I, I'd start with that because there's a lot of things that you that 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 are part of this that you don't necessarily have to be involved in every piece. That's the beauty of this of this business. Right, and you almost can't be involved in every piece. It's just too much, and almost every single GP team has you know various different partners taking care of different you know their strong points or whatever you know makes more sense for them. Um, all right, Ray, can we move over to? Um, actually finding the properties. Um, I know right now, you know, it's, it's an interesting time with, you know, everything that's going on with COVID and all and the elections. Um, what have you been seeing that like, as far as like deal flow and like, what, what have you guys been using? What, what, what method have you guys been using mostly to, to acquire your properties thus far? Uh, good, good questions. There's uh, and, and it's an interesting one too, because it, it's something you have to keep your, your, your fingers on the pulse of. I'll tell you right now, there was a time right after, you know, say March timeframe until, you know, late summer where I was not interested in, in a C-class property. 
there was just too, ma too much ambiguity. And, and, and some of the people may not know what a C-class property is. It's basically a 1960s, maybe 70s asset, multifamily asset. And so that C-class property will require a lot of what's called you know, either maintenance. And, and in many cases, there's a model that, that we call a value add, which is the multifamily version of, of a fix and flip. It's a lot longer and you know, it could be up, up to five to seven years that you hold it before you you know, let's not use the word flip, but before you sell it and move on to potentially something right. bigger. But there was a time where I wasn't touching those at all. And, and in fact, not, not too many people were because it's just, it was just a lot of, a lot of uh, ambiguity about whether even, you know, whether people could, you know, we're going to have a job where the people were going to be able to uh, service those properties. Uh, so you're saying, uh, you're saying right when COVID started, is that, is that when you're talking about? Right when COVID started, really through the end of the summer, really, it, it's kind of, it was kind of quite ambiguous. It started loosening up towards the end. And of course, there is this notion of a second wave. So there's still concerns associated with it. But my point with saying that is that that, that has kind of changed a little bit in certain markets. There are certain markets that, that C-class properties never dropped off. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at stuff in Dallas now and it's like, they never, they never really had a, a, a big drop there. They had a little blip maybe for a month or two and they're back. I mean, it, they, I guess they never left. And it's, it's, it's amazing. You go to other places and yes, the, you know, the, it, it's been really hard because of, you know, some of, some of the jobs, the, the places with tourism, a lot of tourism have, have been hit hard, harder than other places. And so, it just depends. So that, that's one of the key things, but that's kind of what's changed. So I, you know, a few months ago, I would have said, yeah, I'm, I'm staying completely away from C-class. Now I'm looking at C-class again in certain markets where it makes sense. So you, you gotta have to, you gotta, you have to understand what you're looking for, uh, kind of assets. And then, and, and then sometimes you have to pass if it's the timing isn't right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with C-class assets. They're great. When you can get in there, you can va you can do your repairs and you can bump up rates to market because you just created a better product for tenants. It's not just you know willy nilly. I'm going to raise your rent. It's no, I put in a new new appliances. I've got new you know new floors. There's a whole series of things that people you know when they think yeah my rents just went up, but there's costs associated with doing that. But that that allows you to raise those rents to market level, uh, and then now you've driven additional value to that to that asset because in the multifamily space, you, your property is valued by the net operating income that it brings in. It has not as much to do with comparables in, in your area. Comparables will all, always matter, but it's not the, the, the most important thing when it comes to multifamily. It, it's really about how efficient and how, how good your net operating income is. So that means high rents, lower expenses. If you can raise rents and lower expenses, that means your NOI is growing, whatever combination of that. Exactly, which, which is another reason as to what we were speaking about before. It's more in your control. It's very tangible. It's in your control. And, you know, you can very much, like you just said, um, um, affect the net operating income by either raising the income or lowering the expenses. And that is very much in your control. You can do that. You can put that into the, to, into the business plan and it just makes it that much more predictable and, and that much of a, you know, of an awesome uh, investment strategy. So and I'm uh, glad you made the correction because sometimes that's not even the rents that you're raising. It's you're adding additional services that, that may raise the income of, of that asset. So for example, if you have valet trash, some people are not willing to go and, you know, walk, you know, a block or two blocks, the equivalent of to drop off their trash uh, at, at the bin. 
Right. Maybe they want to get valet trash. And that means that they drop off their trash right next to where they live in an area obviously contained. And then it gets taken out by someone else there where there's a cost associated with that, but it's also a way to raise income. So there are ways you can, you can raise the income without raising rents per se. Right. It's, it's more about like creativity and figuring out what works, what could work. And each property is, uh, each property for itself can be, you know, there can be to totally different ways of, of getting that NOI, which is net operating income up as much as possible. Um, I was actually underwriting a property uh, the other day, I think it was last week. And on, I always check the reviews of the actual property on like Google and, and all the websites and literally almost every single review were complaints about the property management, not responding or you know being lazy or not caring or not fixing things not repairing things like every literally every single one one after the other and that was just it didn't work out obviously we didn't we didn't even end up putting in an offer but that particular that particular property was screaming out opportunity as far as hey maybe we can do some value add by you know implementing a new management and just you know being more on top of things showing the tenants that we care that we're involved and you know we're we're actually there for them we're not just going to ignore them for months on end so yeah, I guess, you know, like it really depends on the particular property, like you're mentioning. Um, all right, Ray, let's move on to the final segment of the show. This is the uh, final four questions. It's a uh, rapid, you know, uh, question answer type. Um, let's, let's get right into it. So you're, you built this, uh, this wonderful company, uh, MI Real Estate, you're, you're doing wonderful things. You're educating, you're writing books, you're doing everything. What is your why? What's the driving force behind all this? I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, and I model my business after helping, you know, basically helping others do what I'm doing, but doing it faster. So they're not doing it at a tail end of potentially of their career, but doing it sooner and getting that, that income sooner. And so that's actually in disposable cash flow that you can then use for a better life. You don't necessarily have to wait until you're 65 or whenever. To, to start collecting your pension or, you know, your social security or whatever, there's a way to do it sooner. And I, and I just, I just thrive on the, on being able to provide this information to others, especially other military service members that are either, you know, still in the service and they're trying to figure it out. A lot of them become accidental, accidental landlords because, right. you know, they, they, they get put in some location and they, they have an option to either rent or buy. Sometimes they buy, uh, and then two years later, maybe even less, you know, before they're ready, they have to sell that asset or they become accidental la uh, landlords. And so I'm trying to explain to them that there's an easier, better way to do it. You know, invest, live where you have to or where you want to, but invest where it makes sense. And, and so that's part of my why is just being able to get that message out. Obviously, I want to create better uh, generational wealth for my family as well. And because one of the things about having additional wealth, it's not just about willy-nilly spending and you know, living a lavish lifestyle, but it's the ability to give to others. And if you don't have much, you're not gonna give what you have. You really aren't. I mean, you may give some of your time, but there's not much more. But if you create wealth for yourself, then now you have more ability to provide goodness to other people. And then, so that's, that's really where I'm at. Awesome. And by the way, for everyone listening, Ray also has a, a monthly meetup uh, uh, Central Florida, what's it called again? Central Florida Meetup? What's the it called? Great, greater, greater Central Florida Multifamily Investors. Yes, and I, I've attended uh, a bunch of times and I hope to continue to go back there. Ray is always, always adding value to everybody, always trying to help as much as possible, bringing on awesome guests to just, just share so much value. 
And I love that your why doesn't just uh, talk about yourself. You're, you're really in it to help others. And I, I think that's amazing. It's beautiful. And I just, I wish more people would uh, think, think that way. And I think the world would just be a, an incredible place. Um, okay, all right. Thank you. Sure. Uh, next question. What is your favorite book? So my favorite book, I, I think, is, is the Mindset book. It's uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's an okay. oldie, but a goodie, I say. It was oh, one yeah. of the first ones that really, you know, because you got to get your head around these concepts. And that's kind of the biggest thing. And it took, it takes some people longer than others to do. But that's one where you really start looking at it and you start thinking about, about your longer term wealth and how you can kind of do things. You know, in, in school, a lot of times they teach you how to be an employee. That's what school's about. Hey, you know, you have these trades or maybe you have a business. That's about the only time where they teach you something different. But for the most part, they're teaching you how to be an employee. Uh, and you, you may not be thinking like an entrepreneur. You may not be thinking about how you can create other streams of income. When you work for someone, you get paid only when you work. That's, that's the truth. I mean, and so if you can create streams of income where whether you work or not, you get paid, that's the beauty. And then that book talks a lot about that, about that change in that mindset, about, you know, being in charge of yourself and, and figuring out ways to create that wealth. Right. I think, I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad may have been the only book that I've read uh, more than once. So <laughs> definitely wins an award on, on, on my books as well. Um, and yeah, just the importance of, uh, you know, residual uh, passive income, income while you sleep, or it, it's just an incredible concept that so many people, unfortunately, just they're straight up not aware of. And that book is for most entrepreneurs, most people starting out, especially in real estate, I think a lot of people would refer back to that one as like a big, like mindset change. Like, wow, like there's the light there's, bulb, the light other, comes on. Exactly, the light bulb. And like, wow, there are other options. I don't have to work for somebody else my whole life and, and be a slave to money, you know, just for nine to, to not from nine to five. And it's just an incredible book and a great call. Um, what would be the question number three? What's your, what would be your best advice uh, for somebody starting out wants to get involved in real estate? We kind of covered this in the beginning, but we'll, we'll just do it now as well. Um, what would you, be your best advice for them to get started? I think the biggest thing is uh, sometimes, especially if you want to get into this business, you, you want to find the property. You want to be the guy who brings the deal or the gal that brings the deal. Um, and in many ways, it's, it's a little bit tough to get started because frankly, brokers is which is normally how you get access to these assets have preferred uh buyers people that have bought from them before and so it can be tough to get into that and and to become you know in, in the single family space they call it pocket listings but it's basically you getting information about a deal before everyone else does and and that's hard 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 to do you know in, in the multifamily, especially because there's less of these and the broker wants to make sure that whoever they're putting this out to is able to buy. Um, and so I think that's the hardest part. So if, if you can partner with someone that has done it before, that has some relationships already, um, that maybe either maybe they want to mentor you or they, they want to just straight partner with you, then you can short circuit that process because you no longer have to be responsible for finding those deals. You, the deal is brought to the team that you're part of. And guess by the way, now you've got that entire network that of, of, of the, your partner that is also now your network. So the next time you're looking for a deal, you, you now are on the inside and that broker is going to potentially remember you because you can say, hey, I was on this deal with, with so-and-so. It's like, okay, 
and I'm still working with so-and-so. Okay, so now they know that you at least are around people that, that are performing, that are, that are able to take down these deals. And so that matters. So my point is, don't, don't beat yourself up, you know, just trying to find that one deal that you think is gonna, is gonna work and, and, and not look around and see who else is already doing what you're trying to do and partnering instead of competing. Got it. So basically find your way into a GP uh, situation as best as possible, wh whatever way that may be, whether it be uh, boots on the ground or raising, you know, uh, adding some capital or maybe you have time or whatever that may be, get, get into that GP as quickly as possible. Then everybody's going to start taking you more seriously and that'll get you on the, on the fast track to success. Yeah. And sometimes the best way to get into a GP is to be an LP first. I mean, it just is because you, you're able to, you're able to meet people and then you're able to uh, create those relationships that you wouldn't necessarily be able to create from the outside looking in. And so now that you're on a limited side, guess what? You have access to all these people and you can tell them about what your intents are, what your goals are, what value you can add to a new acquisition in the future. So sometimes that's, that's the way to do it. The other way is obviously you can, you can get, um, you can get a mentorship. You can basically pay uh, to be part of a, a formal mentorship and that'll also give you access. That's not the method that I chose because I had some experience and, and I figured I wanted to get returns while I was kind of growing into the business as opposed to just giving money to a, a mentorship. Some people would argue that, hey, that may be the way you begin, but you're able to speed, you know, quickly get to that next level with a mentor. So I think there's, there, there's pros and cons to each and they, they both can work. It just depends on the individual. I, I think uh, for those people that maybe are, are afraid or they're a little bit more risk averse or they need someone to kind of keep them on track, maybe the mentorship is the best way because that's part of what that is, is that accountability piece to it. If you're self-directed, self self-motivated, and you're just trying to learn the business a little bit more and create those networks, then maybe you're, the better option is to, is to get into a passive investment and work your way into a GP. Got it. Cool. And, and that obviously works because that's what you did, right? And that, that worked for you. So great advice. Uh, Ray, what, what's your favorite hobby? I think my, uh, you know, so I, I love fishing. Uh, and uh, so I, I love fishing. I moved to Orlando because I wanted to be close enough to the water, saltwater fishing, but I didn't want to be quite on the coast because, you know, for, 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 for hurricanes, this sort of thing, I wanted to keep, give, give myself a little bit of a buffer, right? But the problem is I don't get out enough and I need to get out more. It's just, it's just a matter of timing. So I, I like fishing. I got to get at, get at it more. It's so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the other thing is I love football. I'm a, I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan. And so in fact, you know, they're going to be playing a little bit here. So excited about that. So I, I think those are my two biggest hobbies. I also like uh, kind of, I like photos. I like taking photographs of nature, uh, simple things that, that maybe to someone else is just a, a weed. I can take a photo of it and kind of make it look like something neat, uh, at least to me anyway. I'm not a professional, but those kind of things I really enjoy. Cool, thank you. Would you say there's a skill to fishing or is it just throwing the, the line and, and hope for the best? <laughs> no, there's, def there's definitely a skill to fishing because I, I've got to the point where I can catch some fish, but I'm still chasing those elusive ones that you can kind of hold over your head that, that people, <laughs> right. people uh, you know, that you can take a photo of. But most of mine are, are not, I'm not worth a photo. They're, they're good eating though. So I will okay, definitely yeah, do that. Okay. The, re the reason why I'm asking is because I one time went on this fishing uh, trip for like, it was like a day we went out also from, I think it was from West Palm Beach. 
and like everyone on the on the boat had like a ton of experience they all like were talking about all their best catches and everything and guess who caught the biggest fish of the day it was me i caught out like a nice. uh, i think it was called a cobia cobia something like that and um everybody was jealous of me and, and ever since then i was like wait a minute like i'm the rookie here unless it was beginner's luck i don't know but that's impossible that's, that's never happened to me i normally i'll take my kids fishing i mean and they'll catch something and i won't so i i mean but part of fishing is just the time right and and spending sharing time with others and and being out so it's I, I, obviously, it's always better when you when you come home with a with a with a nice fish. And if not, go ahead and stop at the grocery store so you can potentially fool someone at home. <laughs> right. All right, uh, Ray. Where can people reach you? Yeah, the best way is is through my website, mirealestate.us, and uh, there they'll find all my social media. They're, they're able to contact me directly uh, on the website. So that's probably the easiest. Uh, they're I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Okay. Well, Ray, thank you very much. This has been a really awesome uh, interview. You've added tons of value about all different topics of real estate and how to get involved and property management and everything. And I just wanted to thank you once again for coming on the show. And, um, and yeah, this, is, this was really awesome. Thanks, Penny. It was my pleasure. Appreciate it. Good luck. I'm looking forward to seeing this and all the other episodes you got coming. You got it. Thank you. Take care.